June is Pride Month in the world. For any listeners who don't know, it's very important to the LGBTQ community because it commemorates the Stonewall Riots and the end of June in 1969. Festivities and events are held to recognize the impact that the LGBTQ community has had in the world, both past and present. Now, just as Pride Month was about to begin back in May, there were two ladies of non-straight sexual orientation riding a bus in London around 2.30 a.m., Right, the women said that they were approached by four teenage males who were making some not-so-nice comments to them after seeing the two women kissing. According to the women, the boys wanted them to keep kissing so they could watch, and the teenage boys started to describe lewd sexual positions et al. After the ladies refused, one of them ended up in an argument with the teenagers, and the other tried to step in. An all-out fight broke out. Their things were stolen. The two women were banged up pretty badly. You might have seen the photos circulating. Uh, the story made global headlines and everyone was outraged. The women were interviewed and offered empathy and solidarity by the LGBTQ community and allies alike. Now, in a very interesting turn, Chris, one of the women involved in the attack, is being called ungrateful and a promoter of malice because she said that she and her date are getting the attention that they are getting because they're white. Hello again, and welcome to Meanwhile on the Farm, where we get back to the subject at hand. Each episode, I find a story centered around race relations, unpack it, and then offer you some plausible and practical solutions. Then we wrap it up by talking about something good that's happening. Thanks for tuning in, in your car, at the gym, or in the shower. Listen, if you're in the shower, I really appreciate you. (laughs) Okay, for reference, this particular episode will feature some language not suitable for people who don't like cuss words, like my mama. Uh, Although that was this one time. She was mad. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Today, we're digging into a pretty brutal assault on two women in London who were violently attacked by four teenage men uh, after the two women had enjoyed a night out. Now, I found a clip of their interview on BBC Sounds, which is a radio station across the pond. Uh, Let's take a listen to that. The voice you're about to hear is that of Melania, uh, Chris's date for that night. I was on a date with Chris uh, last Wednesday. We must have kissed or hugged or something like that because right away they saw that we were together. So they came after us, they surrounded us and started saying like really aggressive stuff, things about sexual positions, lesbians and claiming that we should kiss so they could watch us. But then it got worse. In the moment, that's actually one of the things that upsets me most because in the moment I thought that it was just another episode of the violence we have to suffer, you know. In that moment, I actually, I tried to to ease the situation. I tried to make some jokes, like uh, Chris wasn't understanding because she didn't speak English or stuff like that, you know? She even acted as if she was sick. So we tried to make them go away, but they didn't. They started uh, throwing us coins. The next thing I know is that Chris is in the middle of the bus and they are punching her. So I immediately went there, just, you know, by impulse. I, I didn't think about it. And I tried to pull her out of there. So they t- started punching me. I don't remember if I was trying to get her out or I punched somebody. I actually, I really don't. So they started beating me till I was like bleeding all over. I, I was really bleeding. We went uh, downstairs and it was the police already there. And they took our statements and they called the ambulance and everything. It's something of a surprise to me that this could happen in London. Is it a surprise to you? Yeah, it's a surprise to me too. Have you encountered anything like it before? 
No, never in my life. As I told you, I know that there is a lot of violence, verbal violence, like all the time. And that that's the thing that made me like tell the story, you know. Even when the, these guys came, it was not the first situation when uh, men see two women kissing and they start uh, acting as if we were a show. I have gay friends who have been in the streets and they have been punched like all over. You've complained to the police, presumably. What have they said? The police are extremely good. We are in really in close touch and they are investigating. What does it make you feel about Britain today or London? It's a, a, a lovely city. I love it. I don't know the city that much. I, I can't make a, an accurate analysis. Now uh, the people have told me like a lot of violence is going on, that we were even lucky that we were on a bus because if we have, we were in the streets, nobody knows what could happen, you know. So that was Melania. All right. Some background information on Melania. Melania is actually Dr. Melania from Uruguay, who works as a flight attendant on Ryanair. Now, Ryanair is like the spirit air of Europe. And hopefully Ryan doesn't charge you to scratch your elbow like Spirit Air does. Um, well, I'm not sure what Chris does for a living. I do know that she's native to um, the United States. Okay, so let's get back to the, 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 the statement. This claim is Chris's. Okay, the fact that they, she and Melania are getting the attention because of race. Chris actually wrote a piece for The Guardian, which covers American and international news for an online global audience. Uh, about this, all right, and I gave that article a read, and the title of this article is, You Saw Me Covered in Blood on a Bus, But Did You Get Outraged by All Homophobia? All right, I'll read that again. You saw me covered in blood on a bus, but do you get outraged by all homophobia? Now, I'll ask this, is this a valid question? Is she turning something that was about sexuality into something about race? How true is that question? Is she wrong? Did we, and when I say we, I mean the world, did we skip over supporting their sexuality to supporting their race in their sexuality, whether consciously or subconsciously? No, that's not what we did. All right, hold on, hold on, not so fast. Now, I want to dig a little deeper into Chris's thought process to see if she was, in fact, being an ungrateful, divisive human. Okay, so I have to start out by pointing out that Chris is actually bisexual, not a lesbian. All right. Now, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? All right, there's a difference between the two. So she had a problem when she saw an article titled Lesbians Beaten for Refusing to Kiss. Bisexuality is a little more nuanced and forgotten about because it gets a rep for being uh, a bit too ambiguous to most. Um, there are people, and when I say people, I'm using that word as a, a blanket statement to include all people. There are people who can, for all intents and purposes, understand gay and lesbian. Two men, two women. They may not like it, but they get it. Even if they like it or approve of it, you know, rather, they get it. Two men, two women. But bisexuality is one of those things that's often misunderstood and even dismissed. Uh, the bisexual community is sometimes labeled as confused or noncommittal, like they can't make up their minds. It's like, which part do you prefer thing? Like, do you want this one or do you want that one? And they're like, I like both, but it's like, that doesn't make sense. Um, beyond that, a bisexual can still be bisexual and lean more towards one gender than the other, okay? So the term bisexuality wasn't coined until the 19th century. So there's that. You, know, you may or may not have heard of a term called pansexual. Uh, it's come up a lot lately. Um, and pansexuality is a romantic or emotional attraction towards people regardless of their sex or gender identity. 
Uh, pansexuals often refer to themselves as gender blind. Not all of them, but a lot of them do. So it's more about the person than it is about the body part. Yeah, Pansexuality is not bisexuality, but it is an arm of bisexuality. Okay, Corey, why the hell is this important? It's important because of the specificity. Okay, headlines and reports quickly label them both as two lesbians. But that's already incorrect. All right, go with me here. If people really cared about the attack on the sexuality of these two women, they would not have assumed that they both were lesbians and they would have gotten more specific in order to create a wider range of solidarity, especially when it comes to bisexuality. L-G-B-T-Q. What if the article read, lesbian and bisexual beaten for refusing to kiss? There's a different tone there. That can be a different conversation altogether. All right, hear that. A simpler way to put this, if you're going to care, care in a way that's thorough and accurate. So we're already starting off on the wrong foot with this thing, kind of. All right, so let's get back to Chris's article. Chris said that she'd gotten multitudinous messages that said, I can't believe this is happening in 2019. This is crazy. But according to her, she can. To quote from the Guardian article that she wrote, this attack and the ensuing media circus are par for the course in 2019. In both my native United States and here in the United Kingdom, it always has been and still is open season on the bodies of, in no particular order, people of color, indigenous people, transgender people, disabled people, queer people, poor people, women, and immigrants. I have evaded much of the violence and oppression imposed on so many others by our capitalist, white supremacist, patriarchal system because of the privileges I enjoy by dint of my race, health, education, and conventional gender presentation. That was me trying to give you time to find the lie. All right, let's zoom in on a word here. Privilege, because we got it. Privilege, by definition, is advantage or freedom. Simple, right? Advantage or freedom. But look at this. When we add the word white in front of the word privilege, somehow, some way, it gets disassociated with advantage or freedom and associated with money and cars and houses and success, at least to most white people. All right. White privilege isn't about stuff and things. It's about exercisable rights and humanity without interruption based on color. Chris goes on to say the press coverage and timely law enforcement response was not coincidental to our complexions. Neither was the disproportionate online reaction over the victimization of a pretty brunette and blonde. The commodification and exploitation of my face came at the expense of other victims whose constant persecution apparently does not warrant similar moral outrage. I'm going to read that last part again for me. The commodification and exploitation of my face came at the expense of other victims whose constant persecution apparently does not warrant similar moral outrage. Is she right? Constant persecution. And you know exactly what she's talking about. She's talking about the systematic oppression that has been so perfectly set up for people of color. Y'all about to make me start preaching up in here. Let me calm down. Okay, uh, let's climb into a honeypot of numbers here. The first set is from the Uniform Crime Report of 2017. Okay, for some reason, I want to say this report comes out every three years, but I could be wrong about that, so don't quote me. But these numbers are from 2017, two and a half years ago. In uh, 2017, 
16,149 law enforcement agencies participated in the hate crime statistics program. Of the 16,149 law enforcement agencies, 2,040 reported 7,175 hate crime incidents involving 8,437 offenses. So 2,040 of the agencies reported 7,175 hate crime incidents involving 8,437 offenses. There were 7,106 single bias incidents that involved 8,126 offenses, 8,493 victims, and 6,307 known offenders. Single bias means that there was only one reason why the hate crime occurred. All right. And again, that number is 7,106. So there were 7,106 hate crimes that occurred based on single bias. Of the single bias incidents, 58.1% were motivated by a race, ethnicity, ancestry bias. 15.9% resulted from sexual orientation bias. 1.7% were motivated by gender identity bias. 0.6%, that's 46 incidents, were motivated by gender bias. In other words, the single bias incidents that occurred motivated by race, ethnicity, ancestry were nearly 3.7 times higher than sexual orientation motivated incidents. Well, Corey, race, ethnicity, ancestry includes white people too. You're right, it does. So I offer you this next number, 48.8. That's the percentage of those that were anti-black or African-American. In 2017, law enforcement agencies reported that 4,832 single bias hate crime offenses were motivated by race, ethnicity, and ancestry. Of these offenses, 48.8% were motivated by anti-black or African-American bias. So that's what that's saying. According to the Metropolitan Police's Crime Statistics, and this is for London, In four years from 2014 to 2018, the number of attacks reported jumped from 1,488 in 2014 to 2,308 in 2018. Now, the key word here is reported. Sometimes things happen and people don't report them. This is true for the first set of statistics as well. So it's possible that the number is greater. We don't know that. That to say it's happening It's happening to black people a lot, but not all of them make the headlines. Why did this one? All these numbers mean is that blacks are victims of the most hate crimes, but we get the least amount of coverage. In 2018, 26 transgendered people were killed and the majority of them were black trans women. In 2017, the prior year, that number was higher at 29. So far in 2019, There have been nine black trans women killed. Nine. I'm saying this for those people who yell, all lives matter. But do they? Damn it, I was about to start preaching again. Why y'all got me up in here on a Friday? So here was something frustrating about these numbers, other than the fact that they exist. You know, while I was researching and trying to find the number of hate crimes committed on LGBTQ people of color, I found it very hard to separate the statistics on LGBTQ individuals and LGBTQ individuals of color. This is why that's a thing. Because contrary to popular belief, blacks in the LGBTQ community issues and struggles are not the same. 
They're two separate entities that face two separate types of oppression. Now, I'm not talking about methods of oppression. I'm talking about the actual oppression. Know the difference. Don't ever say to a black person, we can relate to the same struggle because you're black and I'm gay. And as a black person, don't assume that your involvement in the LGBTQ community also involves you or them in being black. Okay. I'm not saying don't be involved, be involved. I'm not saying that these two things can't coexist in the same place. They actually can just ask black gays, but they are two things. It's a compound. They're layers that are there. Just know that gay and black are different. And if you don't think that they are, you're negating the intersectionality and the struggles found between black members of the LGBTQ community. Okay, now I wanted to bring someone else in on this, um, and his name is Zach Schultz. Zach is a higher education administrator in New York City and a freelance writer. Uh, his work has appeared in the Huffington Post, Into Magazine, The Gay and Lesbian Review, The Rumpus, and more. Um, this year, he was selected as a Lambda Literary Fellow. That's a big deal there. And will be joining the notification cohort at the Writers Retreat for Emerging LGBTQ Voices in Los Angeles this summer. So he's bringing the heat. Uh, we re he received a master's in Latin American studies from Tulane University in New Orleans. Shout out to my home state and a bachelor's in Spanish and sociology from the University of Kentucky. Uh, he's currently working on a book about AIDS and gentrification in New York City told through the story of one almost famous man who was a playwright and historical preservationist who died in the 90s. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. Uh, Zach is actually in New York right now and we have him on the phone. Zach, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, how's the weather in New York? I hear that y'all's April showers is lasting through June. Somebody said y'all like Seattle of the East Coast. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's been, I like to say the weather's been very homophobic lately, especially <laughs> during this Pride Month. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. I haven't seen sunlight in days, but that's New York. <laughs> that is. Um, okay, so Zach, I wanted to talk to you about your work and findings with the intersectionality between race and the LGBTQ community. Um, I know that you have a master's in Latin American studies, but you've done some great research on things. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So um, I studied undergrad sociology in Spanish and then went on to do a master's in Latin American studies. And my thesis project was specifically about gender and sexuality in the Dominican Republic. Um, and so I did a lot of research about how um, gender and sexuality is constructed like culturally and socially within the context of this one community um, in Santo Domingo. And, um, you know, I think through my studies, um, I thought a lot about these questions about how different social positions, whether it's race, ethnicity, gender, sexuality, economic class, um, how they um, sort of structure our lives and how they can be uh, limiting and how they can offer also opportunities for political um, like action or social activism and ways that we can challenge some of the constraints that have been placed on our lives and ways that we can recognize how all of us are with, live within in these structures, right? So um, all of us have certain amounts of privilege and certain amounts of marginalization based on a number of factors. So for example, I just to put myself out there, I'm a white, um, cisgender gay man. So at the same time that I am oppressed or marginalized based on my sexuality because I'm not straight, I still enjoy a relative amount of privilege um, in relation to a lot of other people in the LGBTQ community based on my gender based 
piece. And I think anyone who's interested in social justice and having the world become a more equitable place for everyone, we need to start by recognizing the privileges that we have and use our privilege to try to work for a better better world that's more just and equal for everyone, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's really good. That's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, what problems, if any, do you think the LGBTQ people of color face? Yeah, you- yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I, I can't speak for people who have a different experience than right. I do. I only have experienced the world as a white gay man. I think that my experience of being marginalized based on my sexuality from the time I was a kid and throughout my whole life has made me a little more aware and a little more empathetic to the struggles of other people who are different from me, but that I can sympathize with. So I can understand that I share in common with my um, LGBTQ brothers and sisters of color, right? That we all have been experienced homophobia, but I've never experienced racism. So I can just imagine that one system of domination compounds onto another and it just makes it harder for people to simply exist in the world and to have a platform and to have, you know, access to resources, whether it's housing or jobs or healthcare or community support or loving families, you know, all of these things kind of work together. Um, but I, my hope is that we can all start to realize the, the things that we have in common and the similar experiences that we share. And, and even if we don't have things in common, that we can still empathize with each other just on the basis of being humans and wanting everyone to have, you know, a fair shot at life. So, yeah, that's the, that's um, the hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. I think there's just so much division in the world today and that we have like, uh, you know, our politics have become super divisive and very toxic and we have, you know, it comes from the top and all the way down. Like we have leaders who are playing off of our differences and using those differences for political gain mm-hmm. to try to keep us divided. But if we instead saw that we have a lot of things in common and we have common goals, uh, we could have like a critical mass that would challenge these, these structures. So I think that like part of our, um, our responsibility, especially people within the LGBTQ community like myself who have some more privilege than others is to lift up people from different experiences and center them in our struggle and, um, you know, try to create alliances with them so that we can accomplish something together instead of focusing on the ways that we're different and fight and fighting with each other instead of fighting the real, you know, enemies that we have out there, which is like the larger structures of racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia and all of that. So it's like, I like to say that if if one of us in our community is not fully free, then none of us really are. Ooh, that's, so if we can't really yeah. see the ways that we're connected, then we're going to just be playing into their game. And, you know, I would like to see things get better, personally. I love that you're recognizing the privilege, but it's not, the privilege isn't the issue. The issue is not using it the way that... Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like a really tricky thing these days. Like, a lot of white people are uncomfortable talking about race and talking about privilege because no one wants to feel like they're bad, that they're the problem, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's not a question of whether, like recognizing that you have privilege. It's not a question of being bad or good necessarily. It's just a question of understanding that we all live in this society that was here before we were born, that 
has treated people differently and gives people different levels of power. And if you are interested in making the, the playing field more level, then you can find ways to work against that or to call it out or to make it visible. I think that's one of the biggest things about privilege. It's not always that it's like, you know, I'm going to go out there and like beat somebody up who's gay or beat someone up for being um, black or brown. You know, mm-hmm. it's a lot of ways privilege works is that it's just invisible to us. So it's like a straight couple walking down the street holding hands. They don't realize that the fact that they can do that without being threatened. That's the part of privilege that I, as a gay man, don't have. Every time I'm with someone, PDA makes me extremely uncomfortable. It makes me worry if I'm going to be a target of hate for cruelty and I think that's something that like I walk around with all the time but that straight people don't have to think about in the same way I walk around with white privilege right so I don't have to think about whether a cop is going to pull me over in my car simply for driving with the skin color that I have right right so it's like privilege works in a way that it's just invisible to the people who have it so I think one effective way of dismantling it mm-hmm. is to make it visible to talk about it to bring it you know to the forefront of our mind um, and if we are aware of those privileges, then we can hopefully start to um, call them out and, and fight against them. Right, right. Um, now, we have talked about what it's like on the other side of being uh, gay uh, after the coming mm-hmm. out. Um, I want to go back to yeah. prior to coming out. Now, you wrote a very compelling piece about yourself uh, growing up in Kentucky, about being gay. Um, and y'all, this piece was fantastic. I read it and I was with him. I was with you, Zach, through all of it. And I felt the pain and the joy and the discovery and everything. I mean, it was a truly uh, beautiful piece. Um, now, this question is is three parts. Uh, one, um, mm-hmm. why did you write that piece? Um, mm-hmm. Two, how hard was coming out when you did? And then three, mm-hmm. do you think coming out would have been different if you were a person of color? Yeah, yeah. Those are all really good questions. So writing for me has been sort of a journey of personal discovery. For a long time, I did not have sort of the confidence or the awareness to really like think that I have a voice and an opinion and a point of view that people would be interested in hearing. Um, and it, to be honest with you, it really wasn't until I became an adult in my 30s and I decided to start going to therapy because I was like, I don't want to feel so bad about myself all the time. I want things to change. I want to be happy. I want to have a better life. I want to be healthy. I want to change this narrative that's in my head that had been there since I was a child that says you're not worthy, you're not lovable. So when I went to therapy, I realized that, you know, we can change these these narratives. We can change the script that's handed down to us. Right. And um, one of the ways that I've been able to do that is through writing. So the first thing I ever wrote was an op-ed in the Huffington Post about RuPaul's Drag Race, <laughs> of all things. Um, <laughs> there was like a controversy going on at the time about RuPaul not wanting to have um, trans women on the show saying that, that if they're trans women, then it's not drag. And I was writing in response to that, arguing that, you know, that's a very limited understanding of what gender and what drag can be. But, um, right. Gender is not, you know, necessarily what we're born with, but it's something that we can perform and do differently, um, which was an influence that I had from going to, to college and taking feminist studies classes. 
Um, so anyway, after I started writing about politics and like op-eds and culture, I finally got to the point where I was like, now is the time for me to turn the focus inward and start looking at my own life and looking at, you know, why do I care about the things that I do? How did I get to this point? And, you know, the, the uh, most, I think, formative experience that anyone has in their life is childhood, um, growing up in a family. Um, and I think when you are a queer person, it's the family relationship is often very fraught. Like, you, you know, you love your family. They love you in their ways. But in my case, and in, I think a lot of people's cases, that you are, you grow up in ways that are different from your straight siblings. Mm-hmm. And you're, you become aware of that, and it really can affect your self-esteem and your self-image and your self-worth. And in my, my case in particular, I grew up in a very religious family mm-hmm. um, of evangelical Christians. and um, Which is a whole a other topic of conversation. And, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I grew up in this environment that was very conservative and very religious um, in Kentucky. Um, and so I wanted to write a piece that was about my father. Um, who's a person I love very much and he loves me, but we've never had a close relationship. Um, we've had a very difficult relationship, I would say, um, because of a lot of reasons. And, I, you know, in my piece, I talk a little bit about being a small child, like three or four years old, playing dress up with my little sis, with my bigger sister, um, and how I was always wanting to, like, play the girl parts, right? Mm-hmm. And that when my dad <laughs> would find me in, like, dresses and makeup, um, he would freak out and I would get in trouble. So it's like that's an instance from a, a very young age where you start to see how um, sort of these ideas about traditional gender norms and sexuality start to be reinforced before you're even like aware of your sexuality, right? Right. Like <laughs> I was probably like three or four years old the first time I discovered that, ooh, this is not something that's okay. This is something that's shameful. This is something that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what's being taught to me by the reaction that I'm getting. Um, and that kind of followed me throughout my life because I, you know, didn't realize that I was gay until probably around middle school when I, you know, hit puberty and was starting to realize, hey, I'm attracted to people of the same sex. And this created like a moment of real kind of dread for me because I was growing up in a church that told me that that was sinful and that was wrong. And, it, you know, it needed to change. And I was like, well, if it's sinful and wrong, why do I feel that way? And, like, these feelings that I can't control. Um, so it made me very depressed and suicidal throughout most of, of high school. Um, and, you know, that followed me into my, my adult life. And there's one book that I read that kind of changed my life that I read in my late 20s that I wish I had had when I was much younger. Mm-hmm. And I would recommend it to anybody out there who is queer, anyone out there who has a family member who's queer, basically everyone should read this book. It's called uh, Ties That Bind okay. by Sarah Schulman. Um, the the uh, subtitle is Familial Homophobia and Its Consequences. And so she talks about how homophobia, we think of it as like this thing that's out there in society, right, where, you know, gay and lesbian um, are treated differently. They are, um, you know, devalued. There's yeah. laws. But it actually starts within the family, right? Like, it doesn't come out of nowhere, these ideas about sexuality and gender. Um, they start from a very young age in the family. So she locates it from your most, like, 
formative experiences in childhood. And so I started to think about that, and I wanted to take a look at my own childhood and sort of trace a line that went from being a little kid who was different mm-hmm. <laughs> and being devalued based on that difference to being an adult who now, you know, I never came out to my parents in the traditional way that you, you, you think of coming out because yeah. they're just still, you know, we still haven't made that kind of progress in our family to where we can talk about certain things openly. So they've even met an ex-boyfriend of mine and it's like, oh, this is my friend or this is my roommate. Oh, so wow. it's like when you are a gay person, you often have to hide or minimize parts of yourself. And as I've gotten older and become more confident and changed the narrative through therapy, like I was saying, and through, you know, just becoming, you know, my own person, I started to push back against that, that, that um, pressure to conform to what other people expect of me, that pressure to diminish yourself, that mm-hmm. pressure to, you know, hide parts of yourself or behave in a certain way or, you know, try not to offend others. Because I'm like, I haven't done anything wrong, you know, and that's one thing I got out of this book, like there's someone that was telling you, Ty Sabine, is that um, gay people are often treated less than because, um, you know, we're treated as if we've done something wrong. And when in fact we haven't, and the people who have done something wrong are those around us who have treated us differently, right? So right. it's like the way, that, the way that domination works is it makes the person who is oppressed or marginalized, it makes them blame themselves instead of looking at the perpetrators of the violence or the shunning or the mistreatment, right? Mm-hmm. And this is not to make people feel bad or not to make, you know, oh, my family members can say they're awful people. They're good people. They did what they could. And one thing I write in my piece that was really complicated that I wanted to try to explore this area of complicated dynamics is that, you know, my parents, my dad in particular, they love in the way that they know how. And sometimes love is not enough. Sometimes it goes, it like comes up short and it disappoints us. The love is all that we have. So I wrote the piece to try to grapple with a way to accept my parents for who they are while still not compromising who I am mm-hmm. and still demanding that I be respected and see, and that I'm seen. Um, and so I think that like it sort of resonated with a lot of people. I got like a great response from the piece, like strangers online sent me messages through Twitter, to my email saying that they res- that this resonated with them. Even one, one particular young man um, that really touched me, he mm-hmm. said he was from Zimbabwe um, and that he, has a group online with other gay men from Zimbabwe where they talk about, you know, their experiences growing up in a very homophobic culture and society and that he related to a lot of what I said and that it helped him try to come to terms with his contentious relationship with his parents. So I'm like, that gets back to what I was saying earlier, that even though we might have different experiences in life and have different levels of privilege or oppression, yeah. there are certain things that we can come to the table and relate to each other right. and realize that we have more in common than we think that we do. Like, you know, I would have never thought that someone in Zimbabwe would read my <laughs> right, right about being like a little gay white boy in Kentucky and see anything they could relate to in it. But I was so touched that someone did and that I was able to reach across and speak a bigger experience, but a more human experience. Um, 
So I don't know if that answers all your questions. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And it, and I think yeah, what it, yeah. what it, it, everything that you're saying is sums, sums up to an exposure of things, being honest with things and not necessarily trying to have someone understand your point, but just to try to understand someone else to open yeah, up and go, yeah. Hey, I want to hear you. I want to know what's going on in your life, which starts right. with um, for whites recognizing that you do have that privilege. And then for blacks realizing that, mm -hmm. Hey, you actually can be a little bit more honest and open with yourself about things. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's like, it's just the, a fundamental desire of every person in this world is to be seen and to be heard and to be valued, you know? So it's not just like gay people were just asking you to tolerate us. I hate that word tolerance because I feel like it's so lame. Like it's so, it's, it's really easy to tolerate someone that means like, yeah, I don't like you or I don't respect you, but I'm not going to like actively try to destroy you. Like you can be there. <laughs> right. I'm still, you know what I mean? Like, right. It's just like, I don't want to be tolerated. I want to be embraced for who I am and celebrated. Um, That's good. So, you know, I feel like if we can all recognize that fundamental desire in each other to be seen and heard and valued, then that's the first step to creating a politics that is for justice and equality that really, that really will be effective. Um, you know, I think that's what Chris, the victim of the, of the homophobic attacks in London, I think that's what, what she was writing the piece in The Guardian about is, you know, trying to recognize her privilege as a white, you know, cisgender woman mm -hmm. um, who was a victim of a horribly violent attack, but also that, you know, the response to, to her attack was not, um, was not a coincidence, right? Because yeah. um, if you think about how many black trans women have died this year, um, and are targeted every single day. I think that as a movement, we would do best to center the experiences and the struggles of those most marginalized. Because mm -hmm. if they are free, then the rest of us will be free. So I think I would really appreciate that she wrote that as a way of saying, yeah, this was awful what happened to me. And this happens to so many other people who are not getting this kind of media coverage. So take notice donate your dollars to these organizations mm -hmm. that are actively supporting, you know, black trans women in particular yeah. and the rest of us. Yeah. Um, and she also mentioned the names of so many victims that are not on the forefront of people's minds that are not in the headlines. So I think that as allies, um, you know, whether you're straight and you're an ally to our movement or if you're white and you're an ally to, you know, the struggles of racial minorities, it's like important to always bring these things up. Absolutely. And to try to center the experiences of those who might be struggling in, in more ways than you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he, uh, Zach mentioned a bunch of uh, websites and things, and I'll, I'll touch base with those uh, towards the end of the, the uh, podcast. But um, that was a lot of great information and it was beautiful. And I really do hope that for people who are listening, that you hear and understand a lot of what he was saying. That's why there's a rewind button on this thing. So you can go back and listen to it again. Um, just in case you miss something. And also, it's also good to hear something once, twice, and then three times a lady. <laughs> um, Zach, thank you so much for being with us. So glad you were able to spread some insight into this. Um, 
I would tell LA to send you some of the sunshine, but we get in the rain too, so we both in bad ways. <laughs> um, well, it'll eventually, it'll eventually get to up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was Zach with some uh, pretty special information and perspectives. If you want to read that article, and I'm that I mentioned earlier, uh, black, white, green, purple, brown, straight, LGBTQ, dog, human, whatever you should, um, you can find it at uh, Kafka's Door dot com. Kafka's is K A F K A S Door dot com. Uh, under published work and the title is it's a boy um you can follow zach on twitter at zach z-a-c-h underscore schultz s-h-u-l-t-z and his instagram is zach tackleus yes y'all that's what i said zach tackleus z-a-c-h-t-a-c-k-o-l-o-u-s follow him check him out he's posting a lot of great things and always doing some writing Zach good luck this summer at the Lambda Literary Fellowship you're going to do great thank you so much for having me this was good fun awesome now with all of that let's get back to Chris and her talking about her whiteness being the reason she and her date got coverage all right we already covered the fact that she didn't get coverage because of her sexuality if if it was about us standing in solidarity with her about sexuality we would have already known that she was a bisexual instead of a lesbian being a woman Maybe, but I could go back to the transgender women who were killed and nobody knew about. They were women, but wait, wait, wait. They were also black. The day after the assault, Melania posted on her Facebook a photo of the two of them, her and Chris, in the accident. The incident got a lot of attention and a lot of shares. And of course, as things get shared, comments get placed underneath photos. Now, I'm going to read you two comments that were not the exception to what people were posting. Right. Both of these comments were by males. This is fucking bullshit. Fake staged. Just drumming up more of a sick level of anti-male sentiment by sexist chauvinistic female supremacist, as well as drum up support for gays and lesbians by endlessly repeating a cartoonish victim narrative. It's sick. Life isn't this black and white. Women are not victims and men are not oppressors. There are disgusting loser women and righteous exemplary men. Here's another. I've been assaulted by ex-girlfriends. Where the fuck is anyone who will write up my story and turn me into a publicity whore? Women aren't all fucking angels and victims. How about we acknowledge the realities of domestic violence? Women have had their 365 days of playing the victim. I kind of want to find these men and ask them who hurt you and give them a hug. Well, the second guy, I know it was his ex-girlfriend. Actually, he said ex-girlfriends with an S. Oh, Lord. Um, those comments were two of the strongest that I've seen on the post. Some of them were like, this is fake, fake blood. Now, some people say stay out of the comments. But as a writer, I like to read them to get a post on the level of how hurt, blind, or woke people are. It's very telling. Very telling. But let's go back to the trans women who were killed and got little to no attention. Most of them were black. So that shoots the gender theory out of the water. There are a number of hate crimes against blacks that happen that don't get coverage. And if they do, it's minor. According to the FBI report of 2017, in every tally of hate crimes, including LGBTQ hate crimes, blacks are the most frequent victims. Now, that particular report didn't list the numbers. Um, and I am still on the search to find out what that information is. And I'll report back to those in a, in a later episode. Um, I'm not saying that white hate crimes shouldn't get attention. They should. But equal attention should be and hasn't been paid to hate crimes with black victims. 
All right, here's what Chris did. And this is kind of what uh, Zach was talking about earlier in the episode. Um, and something that he's doing as well. Chris used her white privilege to say, you got to do better about every hate crime being an issue. She was saying that if she's global news, everyone is global news because they're all the same. Offenses against humans. She went to bat for more than just her cause. She used the platform of her situation and her race to draw attention to another issue when it comes to hate crimes. The fact that not all hate crimes are created equal. And what sucks about that is instead of agreeing and banning with her and focusing on the fact that, hmm, there may be merit in what she's saying, she was labeled as ungrateful and a person who was spreading malice. What Chris did was use her white privilege. So, not sexuality. Not how they were identified as a gender. So I'm led to believe that we're left with race. The fact is there are many, many hate crimes of this nature that occur against blacks. How many of them actually get media coverage? The ones that are recorded on cameras by civilians and the ones seized by dash cams in investigations. So something has to go wrong. This is something that we need to start bringing into national, dare I say, global conversation. Are we intentionally biased about the things we share based on the subjects? Or is a hate crime over here the same as a hate crime over there? Have we become desensitized to certain crimes? Look, I get it. Not everyone is able to fight for every cause. That's not possible. We'd all be friggin' exhausted. But we have to admit that maybe Chris does have a point. Maybe there's somebody right thinking right now, so what you're saying is that you want every single hate crime televised and reported? Is that what you want? I mean, people are going to hate other people regardless. You know what? You're not wrong. But not everybody needs to hate. And not everybody does. And the more you see an issue come up, the more inclined you are to fix it. That's what this is about. It's not about whining for more screen time. That's bullshit. It's not fun turning on a television or scrolling on a news feed and seeing the things that are being reported. It's not a good feeling. I'm not saying, yay, more blacks being gunned down and more police officers firing 34 rounds into an unarmed man. Hey, Brad, did you catch how that Phoenix police officer was yelling at that lady to put her baby down, open the door and keep her hands up at the same time like it was some crazy game of Simon Says? Crazy, right? <laughs> no, no. I, I, I would much rather cat videos be the most vicious things to report. And y'all, I hate cats. I'm just going to say it right now. For all you cat fans out there, I'm allowed to not like cats, okay? I'm a dog guy. It's about exposure for the sake of eradication. An article that I came across from Spiked, which was written by Brendan O'Neill in uh, London, states the following. He starts off by speaking in the voice of Chris. Why are you sympathizing with me? Is it because I'm white? Chris is effectively saying. Like an identitarian, Ali G. Is it because I is white? No. It's because you are a human being. And while the sections of the virtual left might have disappeared up the fundament of the anti-human, anti-solidarity politics of identity, the rest of us have not. In that photo, we saw two human beings unfairly abused and assaulted. Nothing more, nothing less. Stop inputting malice and prejudice into our humanist urge to empathize with other people. The question is, did we? Did we see two humans? 
honestly, we could get into this for days and years. And actually, we kind of have been, right? Yay, racial oppression since 1619. But what I want to get into right now is change. The what you can do. If you're a Christian listening to this, or if you've yelled, all lives matter, this list is for you too. Because if it's important, and you're making laws that are about life, and supporting life, you have to support the life that already exists here. The best way. I was going to say the best way you know how, but some of y'all don't know. Let me get back to this. <laughs> Meanwhile on the fire. Number one, educate yourself. Don't be a dummy and learn about the categories into which people can fit. I'm not saying be an expert. That's a lot of information. Yes. But the best way to eat a sandwich is one bite at a time. Okay. Pick a category a week. First week, gay. Second week, lesbian. Third week, trans. Fourth week, black. Learn about groups that are marginalized. If you did a quick Google search of marginalized individuals in America, there will be a list right there. But just learn about them as people. The struggles. An overview, if you will. Get a general idea of who these people are. Go in without judgment. Go in without bias. Go in without your preconceived notions and just go in with an open mind to just learn about them. Just educate yourself about marginalized groups. Okay, so that's important to to, to be educated. Number two, understanding that one person in each of those categories doesn't represent all people in those categories. Make it a point to have a listening focused conversation. All right. This is going to take you from behind your computer screen or your phone and into the coffee shop, into the park bench, into the, if you're brave enough, living room of one of these people in one of these marginalized groups. Come with questions and be ready to hear and understand. Not to argue, but to understand. To be, I, I, it, I think that being minded to learn something new is a bedrock for growth. If you're all wanting to grow, if you're not wanting to grow, none of these podcasts are going to be for you. Turn the shits off right now and go find something else like Teletubbies. All right. Number three. Okay, Quarry, I am aware of the humanism and I talk to people. What else you got? Glad you asked, Eunice. Okay. The TWOCC, Trans Women of Color Collective. Uh, their website is TWOCC.us. What I love about this organization is that it supports two intersectionalities, black and trans. Trans women. Um, here's a statement from their website. Our visibility campaigns serve as a vehicle to raise awareness of our lived experiences. It is an opportunity for our community of members to share their stories and tell their own truths in an effort to be affirmed and see themselves reflected in the social justice landscape. Okay. You can donate your dollars to them or contact them to see what else you can do. You know, they're based in DC. Um, Number four, the human rights campaign is another great resource which with to connect. HRC.org. This organization is LGBTQ focused. There you can donate uh, and or sign up for an email update and actually open up the email updates to see what's up. Um, when the information passes through, connect with the action steps that they're putting out there. When you go to the site, there's a little menu on the top right. And once that menu drops down, there's an option that says local. Click that. Find your state. Keep it moving. Okay. 
And one of the last ones um, is actually a really cool one that I didn't know about until after I started uh, researching. Um, it's called the Transgender Legal Defense and Education Fund. Uh, that website is transgenderlegal.org. Transgender Legal Defense and Education Fund is committed to ending discrimination based on gender identity and expression and to achieving equality for transgender people through public education, test case litigation, direct legal services, and public policy efforts. Again, you can donate and join the mailing list. Now, some people are saying, I would love to, but maybe where I am right now, I'm struggling financially and I can't support and do that. What you can give is your time. Everybody has a talent. Maybe you're a website designer. Maybe you are a graphic designer. Maybe you have uh, a different type of, of, of talent that you can donate to these people, uh, these organizations, these causes. Do it. Put the pedal to the metal and go for it. It is really easy to connect with local organizations and be a part of giving them time. You can do it. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. And now it's time for some good stuff. Well, it's all good stuff because we're learning, but you know what I mean. All right. I got to come up with a title for this little section. I'm open to suggestions. If you have one, uh, email it to me. Uh, okay. So one of the major problems that black people have is getting involved. All right. I love it when black people show up and show out as is the case with an individual named Michael B. Maine. The Seattle Times reports that Mr. Maine, a 34-year-old black man from Dallas, recently moved to the Seattle area. Now, Michael is his own boss. He offers like photography, videography, and audio production to individuals and businesses looking for help with marketing and storytelling campaigns. One thing that he was having trouble with was finding other black people to hire. His response to this was photographing 50 black people recognized as making positive impacts in the community. But he wanted to focus not on just the photographs of these people, but the lives of these people. So he created We Out Here. I know it sounds like we got y'all from Insecure, but it's different. <laughs> this is an actual organization. Uh, we Out Here is a festival that began in mid-June on a Friday and went through Wednesday of the following week. It honors black, civic, artistic, and literary excellence, which provides networking opportunities for professionals, artists, and activists. So... Uh, Michael's going to make this an, an annual thing. And the first one is already passed, but there is a website up. So if you want to know more about Michael B. Main's festival, especially people in Seattle, you can visit weouthere.info forward slash. Spelled just like it sounds. You can sign up for updates or go there and support the artists with a few bucks. Again, about that money. So yay to Michael. I love black people. And that concludes this episode of Meanwhile on the Farm. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Uh, if you have any stories that you think are feature worthy, either things that need to be discussed or things that are positive, please send them my way. I would absolutely appreciate that. Meanwhile on the farm at gmail.com. Also, you can subscribe to Meanwhile on the Farm to get a new episode every week. That's right. Every Friday, I'll be throwing stuff at you. Uh, right now, I'm on Spotify and Anchor, but soon I'll be on a few other platforms as well. Also, you can follow Meanwhile on the Farm on Instagram, meanwhile.on.the.farm to see what's coming around the bend as well as stuff to keep you educated and to keep you aware of what you can do while it seems that the world is trying to bust you in the face. <laughs> I post some educational stuff there as well during the week. Again, I'm Corey. This was Meanwhile on the Farm. I appreciate you listening so much. 
please remember that no matter who you are or what you've done, there's something so very special about you. You have something beautiful to do in this world. Don't give up until you make it happen. And remember that if you're silent, that speaks volumes. Peace.